I have a question for you. The question is this. Do you remember the very first job that you ever had? I mean, the very first job that paid you money, not just I'm mowing the lawn at my house. No, no, no. I mean, you went away from home and you worked a job and you got paid cash money. Mine, I think I was, I think I was 14, possibly. I was possibly 13, actually. My mom, my mom, mom, if you're watching, happy Mother's Day. Uh, My mom loved me, but she didn't care about child labor laws at all. So, I mean, I might have been working at 10. Um, So, my first job, one of my first jobs, I've talked about this once before, but never like this. One of my first jobs was um, walking bean fields. Okay, anybody ever had the privilege? Okay, one of, two of you. See, the rest of you, you need to do it just for fun. I mean, it's great. So you walk through bean fields and you pick weeds. Now, when I say pick weeds, I'm not talking like you're in your little garden with your little gloves on. Mm, mm. No, I'm talking sunflowers the size of Shaquille O'Neal that takes three people to pick. That's what I'm talking about. It was a, a typical weed picking day for me at 14 years old. A guy would pick me up at six in the morning. He was probably 14 too, didn't have a license, I'm, I'm guessing. But anyway, he'd pick us up. I'd have a pair of gloves in one hand and a gallon jug of water in the other. That was it. For the next seven hours, that jug was my nutrition. We'd go to a farmer's house. He'd give us directions to a field. We'd go out to the field and we would commence walking. And it would get so hot. I swear every day it was 114. We'd walk through the bean field and we'd pick beans. And it was just, I hated every bit of it. But I wanted to make money. One day things got better. One day something happened that we did not expect. We got to a farmer's house. He gave us directions to a field that we would go pick the beans or the weeds out of the field. If we picked the beans, we probably wouldn't last long with our job. But we picked the the weeds out of the field and he got out these, uh, before we left, he said, here you go. And he started handing us these huge knives. I kid you not, machetes. We're talking Friday the 13th. And he started giving each kid a huge knife. Now in hindsight, is it a good idea to hand a 14-year-old boy a huge sword? No! But we thought it was pretty cool. And he's like, yeah, you guys don't need to pick them. You don't need to pull the weeds anymore. You just chop them as low as you can at the bottom. And I'm like, this is going to be awesome. I mean, someone's probably going to die, but still, this is going to be awesome. So we went out and we did that, and it was great. Now listen to me. It still was hard work. It still was laborious, but it was better than pulling them. And then one day, we showed up at a farmer's house, and something even better happened. We get there. The farmer doesn't give us directions to the field. Instead, he says to the four boys that were with him, he says, hop in the truck. We hop in the truck. He takes us to the field. We get out. We see a huge tractor with a mechanism on the front of it. And he said, boys, that's a bean buggy. He said, hop on. And I'm like, well, is this even legal? What's going on right now? So we, there's these, there's chairs in front and each kid would hop on one and you strap in. And he's like, there's a, there, you got a little spray gun down there. And this, you just grab the spray gun and you just shoot the weeds. And I'm like, you're kidding me. Like, this is heaven. I mean, we going to just sit here? And like, it's like a, it's like a real life video game. Like teenagers versus plants. I, I don't know. It was just, we, it was awesome. I couldn't believe it. We just sat there. And sometimes the weeds weren't coming real fast. So we, you know, 14 year old kids, we get bored. So I'd be like, I'd look at my neighbor over here and be like, I shoot him, I kind of shoot him in the foot. And then he would shoot me back. And the farmer's like, ah, knock it off. He tells us to stop it. But whatever, you know, we're kids. We didn't care. We didn't listen. So all of a sudden we're shooting each other like in the leg and sometimes even up in the arm. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, you're shooting like, like poisonous weed killer on each other? I know. Well, I should have like three arms. I don't even get it. So, but we're shooting each other with this weed killer. And uh, the farmer, he was, he, was, he, was, he was perturbed with us, but, but it was heaven. It was like, I couldn't believe we were getting paid to do what we did. And I'll never forget the day we went to his house. 
we jumped in his truck, he went out to the field, and he dropped us off, and I'm like, we thought, where's the tractor? Where's the, where's the bean buggy? Where, where are our guns? He's like, no, guys, we're going to walk this one. And I'm, we were like, he, so he was punishing us is what he was doing. Because we screwed off so much, he took the privilege away, and we were back to square one. It was just back to hell is what I felt like. I'd, have you ever had something so good only to have it be taken away? I'm setting you up for a message. I couldn't believe that day. My heart sunk. I'm like, this can't be happening. It was so good, and now it's not. And maybe it's not just a job for you, or maybe it was a job. Maybe you had a dream job at one time, and then you lost it. Maybe it was a relationship that was so good, and all of a sudden it wasn't good, and they left. What about maybe, maybe it's a business. You had such faith. God told you to start it, and you did. And all of a sudden it failed, and you're back to square one, or even worse, have you ever had something and had it taken away? The story that I'm going to unpack for you today is a true story. The setting is about 850 years before Jesus ever came to earth. The, 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 one of the central figures is Elisha. He's a prophet, and he's done great miracles. God's using him in crazy ways. And how God uses him today, it might be the craziest. You picked a good weekend to come to church. But the central figure, the central character... I, don't even, I wouldn't even tell you it's Elisha. The central character in the story that I'm going to unpack for you out of God's word in the book called Second Kings is a mom. It's a woman. She's the central character of the story. And, and, and what happens to her, well, let's just say she gets something taken away. I'm, I'm preaching to you out of Second Kings chapter 4. I guarantee you, if you can relate in any, any way right now, this message is going to impact you. Father God, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray right now as the word is getting read that, that you, will lay such a, you will lay such a powerful message on the hearts of the people that we can't deny that you're moving, that, that you're calling us. You're calling us from here to there. Have your way in Jesus' name. And everybody says? 2 Kings 4, verse 8. One day, Elisha went to a town called Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there. She urged him to come in for a meal. After that, you know what? Whenever Elisha passed that way, he'd stop there for something to eat. He found a good thing. Verse 9, she said to her husband, you know, I'm sure that man who stops by from time to time, I'm sure he's a holy man of God. I had to stop right there when I was, when I was uh, getting ready for this message. I thought to myself, when I walk into a room, is that what people are saying? There is a holy man of God. I, you know what they're not saying? They're not saying that when I'm driving on the interstate in rush hour traffic. That's what they're not saying, okay? I'm just saying. What they're saying there is, does that man even know God? And that's not because of my driving, that's because of your driving. I'm just being honest. I was on, I'm getting out. I was on Highway 370, I gotta tell you. Highway 370, Friday afternoon. I'm, I'm driving, minding my own business. I'm in the passing lane because that is my lane. And uh, there's a person drifting over and I don't get and I don't use my horn it's like I'm too polite I don't know I don't know why I don't do it but I won't and uh it's just so invasive I don't want to do that so but he's drifting over I mean I'm right so I'm here and he's here and he's drifting over and I'm like I'm like talking in my car I'm like hey hey and he keeps drifting I'm like hey 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 hey, hey. And, and then pretty soon he started to go back and I'm like maybe he heard me but he but he didn't I were driving 60 with our windows up he didn't hear me but it made me nervous so anyway I'm not the bad driver Many of you are. So I digress. So, uh, he, but they knew he was a man of God. They knew it. They're, I wonder if he's a man of God. Let's build him a small room in our house. Let's make, let's make a guest room for this guy, for Elisha. We'll put it on the roof, which that's a little strange, but whatever. They put it on the roof, furnished it with a bed, a table, a chair, a lamp, everything he would need. 
Then he'll have a place to come whenever he comes through this way. I mean, they're treating this guy pretty good. So Elisha one day returned to that town, returned to Shinem, where he went up to his upper room, the room they made for him, to rest. And then he said to a servant, Gehazi, so he's got a servant, tell that woman, tell the woman that's so good to us, tell her I want to speak to her. And when she appeared, Elisha said to a servant, you know, tell her, tell her we sure appreciate her, her concern she has shown us. You know what? Ask her, what can we do for you? How can we help you? He said, can we put a good word in for you to the king? Can we, can we do some, maybe to the commander of the army? What can we do? Grab you a couple Target gift cards? I mean, how can we help you? That's what he wants to do. She says, no, no, no. I'm good. My family, they take good, gear, good care of me. But Elisha, it wasn't leaving him. Sometimes God's going to prompt you, and I'm telling you what, if the prompt is a good, something that you're going to do good for somebody is not leaving, you're supposed to act on it. Elisha, the, the thought wouldn't leave him. Listen to what he says. Later he says to Gehazi, his servant, dang it, what can we do for her? It's not, I, I feel like we need to do something. So Gehazi said, you know what? She doesn't have a son. Oh. And her husband, her husband's an old man. Okay, what are you trying to say, Gehazi? Or Gehazi, you know? trying to say the blue pill doesn't exist yet. That's right, it doesn't until a couple thousand years later. So, she's saying, it ain't gonna happen. Elisha's like, you know what? Call her back here. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her, you know what? As she stood in the doorway, he said, next year at this time, you'll be holding your son in your arms. She says, no, no, my Lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, Elisha, don't, don't say that. Don't deceive me. Don't get my hopes up like that. In other words, don't joke to me about this, Elisha. It's too personal. But Elisha wasn't joking. He wasn't. As you see in the next verse, sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that following time, the next year, she had a son. Just as Elisha said, one day, he's older now, he's still a child, but older. One day when her child was older, he went to help his dad, who's working with the other, har other harvesters. I wonder if they're in the bean field. I don't know. So, suddenly, he cried out. The boy cried out, my head. My head hurts. My head hurts, the kid said. And the father said to one of the servants, you know what? Carry him home to his mom. And I had to pause again studying for the message because I thought to myself, if I was the, the, the boy's dad, I'd probably, sometimes I don't assume the best. Sometimes, especially when work is involved and my kids start complaining about, oh my gosh, my head. I'm like, what? You know what? I mean, seriously, our ki can our kids exaggerate a little bit? Can our kids show a little bit of drama sometimes? You know what I'm saying? I'll watch you guys run around the house, do backflips on the trampoline, and I'm like, hey, guys, can you guys come in and maybe clean your room? Oh, my leg, my leg, my leg. Okay, it's going to be your butt if you keep talking. Anyway, so, I mean, come on. But, so, Jody, remember that time you were pushing Jake? I don't even know where he, oh, there he is. So, Jake, I don't even remember that. Remember the swing set when mom was pushing you and then you jumped off the swing set to see how far you could go? Or mom pushed you off? We don't know, we don't know which. But something happened and Jake landed weird on his arm and it was kind of, it, it didn't look bad to me. It looked kind of like whatever. And he's kind of complaining. I'm like, you know what? Rub some dirt on it. You're fine, you know? And, uh, he's, and he keeps complaining. He doesn't shut up about it. And I'm like, all right, we'll take you to the doctor. We, we go to the doctor. Turns out it was broken. So who knew? I mean... So much for winning father of the year. So anyway, so, but the, the, but the man knew. He knew the boy's crying, his head hurts. Take him to his mom. So the servant took the boy to home and his mother held him in her lap. So he's still a young child. 
I wrote this down. Everything about that little boy laying in his mom's lap was wrapped in God's promise. Everything. Everything was. She didn't ask for him. Elijah, Elijah proactively said, you're going to have a son. I, I wrote down, surely the God who so mysteriously provided this son is going to be faithful and protect him. But around noontime, the child died. She carried him up and laid him in the bed of the man of God, the guest bedroom, and she shuts the door and leaves him there. So the son that she was given, the son that she didn't even ask for, the son that she loves, obviously, has been taken away. Verse 22, she sends a message to her husband. Send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God, to Elisha, and come right back. The husband said to the wife, well, why would you go today? It's not a special day. It's not like a holiday. It's not the new moon festival. It's not the Sabbath. But she said, it'll be all right. And maybe for somebody, even before we even get to the meat of the message, maybe somebody in this room here needed to hear for whatever you're going through, because she was going through a lot. Maybe God wanted you to hear this. It's going to be all right. Tell your neighbor, it's going to be all right. Tell him right now, it's going to be all right. She said, it's, it's going to be all right. She saddled the donkey. She said to the servant, hurry. Don't slow down unless I tell you we're going. And where she's going is to Mount Carmel. That's where Elisha was. So Shunem was about 25 miles east of Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel's on the very edge of like Israel. It's, it's right on the Mediterranean Sea. So they're, they're going about 25 miles to see him. Elisha, he sees her coming in the distance. He's like, hey. He said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, that woman, that woman who's so good to me from Shunem, she's coming. Run out to meet her. Ask her. Ask her if everything's all right with her and her husband and her child. So the woman's asked that from Gehazi, and here's her answer. She says, yes. She says to Gehazi, everything is fine. Question, is everything fine? No. Okay, you have a corpse in your guest bedroom. Everything is not fine. Ladies, I know it's kind of your special day today, but there's things about you we'll never get. Like, we'll ask you that same thing. We can tell things aren't right. Is everything okay? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. Mm, if you say so. But then about 11, 20 at night, right after we've fallen asleep, you're like, you know what? Everything is not fine. I'm like, oh, boy. Can we talk about it tomorrow? Guess what the answer is to that? Mm, you're getting up. Okay, so we don't, whatever. So I don't even know. And, and who knows why she said that? Maybe she said it because she felt like Gehazi might stop her from getting to Elisha. I don't know. But, but we'll kind of get a glimpse in this next verse. So she, let's find where I was. Um, okay, but when she came to the man of God, so she gets by, by Gehazi, she gets to Elisha, and everything's not fine. And she shows him everything's not fine. She falls to the ground before him, um, caught a hold of his feet. She's holding Elisha's feet. Now Gehazi, he's like, dang, I, you told me everything was fine. So he starts to kind of push her away. And then Elisha says to the servant, you know what? Let her be. Let her be, said the man of God. Leave her alone. She's deeply troubled. But even Elisha, Elisha the man of God, didn't know what, what the Lord was doing. He said, but the Lord has not told me what's going on. Then she said, Elisha, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I tell you, don't deceive me. Didn't I tell you, don't get my hopes up. She's a little bit ticked. She's a little bit upset. In other words, Elisha, I've learned to live with the disgrace of not having a child. Because in that day and age, not having a child would put disgrace on you. 
But it's like she's saying, you know what? I've gotten beyond that. I've moved beyond the ridicule, and I finally got to this point, and then you show up. I love you like a brother, Elisha. I brought you into my home, and I didn't ask you for anything, let alone a son. And now you, I'm blessed with that, and it's gone. And I'm filled with regret. I'm filled with remorse. This is where we're at. So God's purpose is often different than our plans, isn't it? That was not the plan. You talk to any family member or any family that has a special needs child, well, that was never the plan. We don't plan for that. But guess what? All the families that are in that situation that I've talked to, they wouldn't change it for the world once they're in it. Because, because they, they get this picture of the love of the Father like you've never seen before. But that, I guarantee you, at the, at the beginning, that was not their plan. It wasn't maybe your plan that the relationship would end. It maybe wasn't your plan that the job would be over. It wasn't my plan, your pastor's plan, that I'd be, I'd be riddled with a drug addiction that would want to kill me. I mean, God, that's not my plan. I mean, other people might struggle with stuff like that. Not me. I don't. That is not the plan. The journey, I wrote it down. I said, the journey towards your purpose will be marked with struggles. It's so funny that sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll go through such a trying time, and of course we think that God has left us, or God is doing this, and God wants to spite us, and we blame him sometimes. I've done it. I don't know if you have. I've done it. But I wrote it down. If you really want to be used by God, we better accept this now. You're going to have hardships. You're going to be betrayed. Okay? You are going to suffer. Welcome to Meadows Church, where we're here to make you great about, feel great about yourself, right? It's like, I thought this was the fun church. No, 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 that's down the street. So um, it's like, you're going to suffer, and you are. But the path, I wrote it down, the path to abundant life. You ready for this? The path to abundant life is rarely the path of least resistance. It's a fact. I know people, they want to change the world. They want to have a business. They want to do all kinds of great things and impact all kinds of lives. They just don't want to do the work. You want the path of least resistance? Well, you'll get what you came for. I'm telling anybody, you want abundant life, the life that Jesus promised you, it will be a difficult path. It will not be easy. But here's the thing, you won't be alone. That's the good news. Let's continue with our story and see what happens, should we? Verse 29, remember, she's, she's going off on Elisha. And Elisha says to the servant, get ready to go. Get ready to travel. Take my staff. Take my staff and Go. Don't talk to anyone, Gehazi. Just go, go, go. Go quickly. When you get to the child, lay my staff right on his face. Lay it right on his face. But the boy's mother said something. She said, as surely as the Lord lives, Elisha, you're coming with. You yourself, as surely as you live, I'm not going home. I'm not going unless you come. So Elisha returned with her. It's interesting. Verse 31, Gehazi returned ahead. And he did what he was supposed to do. He got there, he did the old stick on the face trick, laid it on the kid's head, and nothing happens. And there's no sign of life at all. So he returns to Elisha and the woman, and he says, the child is dead. Now, I picture it. Gehazi is coming back on his horse or his donkey or whatever, and the woman sees him coming. Now, she knows the instructions that, that he got. Do this, take this, take this magic staff, and you go, and you, by the power of the Lord, and she's watching him come back, and she's thinking, oh my God, What's he going to say? What's he going to say? And he gets closer and closer. And she's bubbling with faith and anticipation. And Gehazi gets there. He's like, the child. She's like, yes. He's like, the child. She's like, yes. He's still dead. He's still gone. What was taken away? 
It's still been taken away. But she, she does something in this moment, something that I'm convinced 99.9% .9 of the people won't do. I'll unpack it more in just a few minutes. Let's finish the story. When Elisha finally arrived, the child was certainly dead. No doubt about it. Gehaz, I was right. No breath coming from those lungs. He's laying on the prophet's bed. So Elisha, Elisha goes in alone and he shuts the door. And he starts to pray to the Lord. That's a good first step. He does something strange right now. It's going to seem really weird to you if you've never read this story. Understand something. Leadership and vision is, is, is caught more than it's taught. And what he's about to do with the boy, with the dead body, is something that he saw his mentor, Elisha, or Elijah, do. Just so you know. Then he lays, Elisha lays down on the child's body. He places his mouth on the child's mouth. His eyes on the child's eyes. He puts his hands on the child's hands. He stretches him out. He stretches out on him, and the child's body begins to grow warm. Elisha gets back up. He kind of walks back and forth, thinking, oh boy, God's, God's, God's doing something here. So then Elisha does the same thing. See, it seems weird, doesn't it? But he gets back down, and he gets on the child, lays down, does this same weird thing, and he's laying there, and he's holding the child. And, and something strange happens. You probably see it, but it says, the child underneath him, face to face, sneezes seven times. And then what happens? The child, the boy, opens his eyes. Now, I'm just picturing it. And understand something. As your pastor, I don't, un I don't understand all of Scripture, like the whole sneezing episode. I mean, I could get really theological with you and tell you, you know what? Those seven sneezes, they probably represent, you know, the seven's the number of perfection. That's what it is. Those seven sneezes, well... There's seven years of tribulation that's coming and the seven sneezes. No, I, I have no idea. Maybe the kid had allergies. I don't know. All I can think about is the, the scene. Elijah, face to face with the child. The child's underneath. The body is growing warm. And all of a sudden, achoo, 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 seven times right in the mouth of Elisha. Elisha's like, dang, you know, wow. I, I'm glad that you're living, but that's kind of gross. I mean... And we might be thinking, and the good news is most scholars believe that Elisha had the COVID shot, so everything's good. I mean, he's fine. He's, he's, he's okay. Don't worry about it. So I, but, but how, why that, I don't know. It's just how it went down. But at the end of the day, what was dead, want to talk about a miracle? See, Jesus wasn't the only one who raised dead things to life. Elisha, this boy was dead, and now he lives. And Elisha says to Gehazi, get in here, call the child's mom. Call her mom. When she came in, Elisha said, here, take your son. She falls to the ground. She falls at his feet, bows before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. Wouldn't you be? And she, she takes the son in her arms and she carries him down the stairs. What, this is one of the greatest miracles. Elisha did a bunch of them. This is probably, a, I mean, a dead body coming to life. It's a pretty big deal. Here's the thing. What made the miracle happen? Well, the miracle happened through God, right? I mean, it's the power of God that does it. We get that. You get that. But, but Elisha, he was a, a huge part. I mean, if Elisha's not there, that God used Elisha to bring the life. So God, you're, you got to be in it. Elisha, you had to be in it. But here's the thing. To me, this story, the, what really set this miracle in motion was the mom, was the woman, 
If, 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 I don't know if you caught it. I'm going to show it to you. What set the miracle in motion was her and her responses. She, she responds in a way that no one would respond that I know. Hardly anybody. 99 times out of 100. Okay, the child is dead. What is a regular person going to do? They're going to be like, all right, well, I'm hurt. I'm, I, I'm struggling. I'm going to grieve. I'm going to call the relatives. I'm going to call friends. We're going to start planning a funeral, right? We're going to start putting the obituary together. We need to go pick out a tombstone. We've got to do all these things. 99.9% of the time, that's what's going to happen. That's not what she does. There's two, there's two critical moments in this story. I'm going to show you, show you both of them that God showed me to show you. Two moments where she, she responds in a way that most wouldn't respond. That's what God is calling us to do. The first one, I got to find the verse. Yeah, the child, verse 22, yes. Listen to what she does. So the child has just died in her arms. She's brought him up to Elisha's room, set him in there. She doesn't plan a funeral. Instead, she says this. She sends a message to the husband. Send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. In other words, what she's saying is, I'm not giving up. See, I'm not giving up. It doesn't make sense. You would give me something I didn't ask for, and you're, you're a man of God. You're called man of God. You told me this. You, the promise came through you. So I don't understand what's going on right now, but I'm not giving up quite yet. See, I, here's the question I had to ask myself, and I'm going to ask you it right now. Have you given up on a promise from God? Have you given up on a promise from God? She would not give up that promise. Not yet. 99.9% of the people would have because, I mean, the child's dead. And she says, no, the way this went down, that doesn't, no. I'm not giving up yet. I won't do it. Have you given up on the promise that God has given you? Have you given up on a dream that God placed in you a long time ago? And it's that dormant. It's so dormant you forgot about it until I just brought it up. And now you're thinking about it. And you used to dream big, and you used to have big aspirations. You were going to change lives. You were going to change your family. You were going to break the chains of addiction. You were going to change the whole family tree. You were going to change the world. Have you given up on the promise? So verse 22 was the first thing. The other one was verse 30. Listen to this. Verse 30. It, it was weird. Remember when, when Elisha said, here, take my magic rod, go place it on the kid's head? Most people would be like, okay, that's good. I like it. You, you know, you're a little servant boy. You gave him your, 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 your staff. You've given him instructions. You're a man of God. He's going to go do what he can do to help this child. She, she, she doesn't quite accept that. Remember what she said? The boy's mom said, you know what? No. As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, Elisha, I'm not going. I'm not going back home unless you go with me. And apparently Elisha wasn't going to go. Listen to what it says. So Elisha returned with her. In other words, Elisha wasn't going to go. He was like, you, you, got, my, you got the staff, you got the instructions, you go. But, she, but And 99.9% .9 of the people are like, all right, he's, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. She's like, no, no, no. Elisha, I, I don't know your little servant boy too well. You know, I, I mean, he serves you. He's probably okay, but I don't know him. He might have multiple Facebook accounts. We don't know. I, don't, I know you, Elisha. We, you've hung, we've hung out together. We played Yahtzee together. You cheat, but still, we played Yahtzee together. We ate together. We, we, we hung out together. We laughed together. We cried together. We got to know each other. So I don't know about that guy, but I know about you. And the, by the way, the promise came through you. I'm, you're coming with. 
So Elisha comes with. It's so interesting. It's like she knew the presence of God was with Elisha. She knew it. Why are they referring to him as man of God? They know. They, she, trust me, they know God, Elisha's done miracles. This isn't one of the first miracles he's done. So it's like she's saying, you know what? I, I, need, I need the presence of God. I need the presence of God. I don't know about, but I know about you. And I wrote it down. You can't pursue the promises of God without the presence of God. You can't do it. Some of you, you're so frustrated and you're so worn out. I'll show you something at the end of the message. You can't pursue the promises, and you've all been given promises from God. Did you know that? You can't pursue them unless the presence of God is all over it. She knew that. Are you actively involved in the miracle that God wants to do in and through you? The miracles aren't just for the person sitting next to you. The miracle isn't just for the, your friend that you heard about. Oh my gosh, God resurrected your marriage. No, no, no. God wants to do something in and through you. That's why you're here. That's why it's, it's you. You're as, as important to the kingdom plan as anybody. You're as important as Elisha was. That's crazy to hear. But it's so true. People don't think that way. I need you to think that way. I need you to understand how valuable you are to God and his kingdom and his plan. Are you just waiting for it to happen? Or are you making it happen? Well, you know what? Waiting for God to show up. Okay, God's like, you know what? God, are you here? God's like, I'm there. Okay, God's here. God has showed up. He's where he's always been. Well, I'm waiting for things to get just right. What do we say about that? If you're waiting for the circumstances to get just right, you'll be waiting the rest of your life. They'll never be just right. They never will. That's what the devil wants you to believe. Are you waiting for something to happen or are you making something happen? So this woman... I would describe her, I, I tell you what, I went through more adjectives this week for this woman. Man, she persevered. Man, she was determined. Man, she didn't give up. Holy cow, she had faith. She just would not. But I kept thinking about, she did, she did the one thing that 99 people wouldn't do. And I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to, I couldn't get the word. And the best I could come up with was Grit. She had grit. I don't know if that's even the proper word. I don't, all I know is grit is like, it's all combined in there. And it brings us to the main point. Miracles happen at the place where your grit meets God's grace. It is so true. What is grit? It is, it is her. It is the woman. It is the mom. It is everything she did. Grit is when, when 99 people are going to do it the normal way, the average way, what everybody else does. But the one, they'll do it different. They'll do it. God's got to be in it. They're, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna have such radical faith. They're, they're not going to give up. That is not in their vocabulary. It isn't. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. You bury that kid in the dirt, I'll be like beating on the dirt. Come on, God. Come on. I'm not, it's grit. Grit, by the way, grit is not defense. Grit is never defensive. It's always on the offense. Grit is always moving forward. Why? Because faith always moves forward. It always does. So grit is on the offense. She could have easily said, Gehazi comes back, didn't work. All right, well, you did what he was supposed to do. But she's like, no, 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 I got some grit. See, miracles happen where, where my grit meets God's grace. That's when miracles happen. And for some of you, the message can be very, very personal and very difficult. And I want to acknowledge that. Because some of you, honestly, you've showed the grit. You've had the faith. You've prayed the prayers. 
You, you, you didn't give up. And the result wasn't like she got. Like the relationship, I mean, you fought for it. You, you did the right things. And, and you follow biblical principles and it still didn't work. Some of you, you, you're praying for that person in your life. I pray, I pray, I pray, God, send me the person for me. And I'm still single. I don't get it. And if you want to get real personal to the story, you know what? I had a loved one. I had a friend. I had a family member. Maybe some of you could say, I had a child. I prayed. I didn't give up. I fought. I believed. I had grit. And they're gone. I will never pretend that's easy. I've never gone through anything like that. But I can tell you this. God never wastes our faith. He never will. He, he never wastes our faith. I don't know who that's for, but I wrote it down specifically for somebody. God is working on your behalf even when you don't think he's working at all. God is working on your behalf even when you don't, in my drug addiction, I didn't see nothing about God in it for a lot, for a lot of the time. I couldn't sense him. I couldn't feel him. Certainly couldn't see him. I didn't hear from him. But yet now, looking back, I can look at the points and see he was with me every step of the way. Couldn't hear him. He was sure silent, but you know what? He wasn't absent. And some of you, that's what you needed to hear. Just because God is silent, does not mean he's absent in your life. It does not. See, God is with you in the good. See, God is with you in the bad. And, and even though you might walk away from God, guess what? He will never walk away from you. Shout, he's with me. Say, he's with me. He's with you. God, he's with you. The devil wants you to believe your God ain't so good. You're, look at you suffer. Look at you struggle. Look at the prayer that didn't get answered. And God is saying, I'm, just, I'm not done. I'm, don't you give up. Dreams aren't realized because God gave up. They're not realized because we give up. That's the fact. That's the number one thing I see is people will give up on a dream before it has a chance to blossom into what God wants it to be. Because we expect, and especially in our culture, in our world, in our country, instant gratification. If I pray for it, dang God, where you at? I prayed five minutes later, I would expect the prayer to be answered. And God's like, Man, Abraham had to wait 25 years before a promise became realized and they saw a kid. And you want it in 25 seconds. God has a will for your life. We are a church that we exist to lead people to Christ and their God-given purpose. Can I tell you something about your purpose? It is beautiful. It, the purpose for your life is to be everything that God dreamed you would be. That's God's will for you. That you would become everything God dreamed that you would be. Why? So that you might glorify him. But guess what? That will never happen through easy conditions or perfect circumstances. It never will. It never will. I don't know some of the theology that maybe has been taught to you as you grew up or whatever, but that isn't a fact. You look at every scripture. You look at everything that people go through. I wrote it down this way. I, I put down, you know what I put down? If it wasn't for my pain, I wouldn't be your pastor. I wouldn't. If it wasn't for the pain that God introduced me to that I, I would do anything to run from, it, it, it would not lead me here if it wasn't for that. Being in God's will doesn't guarantee a trouble-free life. 
Being in God's will doesn't guarantee a tension-free job, a conflict-free marriage. It doesn't guarantee any of that. In fact, I'll tell you this. The fact that you have tension, the fact that you have conflict, may very well be a sign that you're right where you're supposed to be. I'm telling you, is the struggle great? Yes, it is. But greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. That's the truth. That's what God wants you to know. He's with you. And I'll tell you something. And some of you that you've gone through tragedy, some of you, you're in it right now. I'm so grateful that you're here. I'll tell you this. It is in tragedy and suffering, for me, when the presence of God becomes most real. I don't want it. I don't wish it on anybody. I just know from experience. See, I want the mountaintops with God, and maybe you do too. Of course you do. Who wouldn't? But, it, but, but it's in the, it's in the, it's in the, it's in the valley where I've gotten close to God. It's in the valley where I've gotten intimate with God. I don't want to be in the valley, God, but boy, I sure cling to you there. This isn't going to make sense to, it didn't make sense to me when I wrote it down, but obviously God had me write it down for a reason. Sometimes I think we waste our sufferings. Sometimes I think we waste our sufferings by neglecting opportunities to reveal God's love and grace to others who are watching. People are watching you. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I'm just saying sometimes we get so inward in our suffering and we forget that when we get around others and share what's going on in us, it helps others heal. I can't imagine as a parent losing a child. I can't imagine. But you know what I, you know what's, I, I also can't fathom? A child losing a parent. How about this? How about a young child losing a dad and then just a few months later lose, losing his mom? There's something about a child. They, they, they get, Jesus has come to heaven as a child. Why do you think he says that? Kids, there's something about them that... I ran across this story. I, I've never... It's recent, so maybe that's why I've never seen it before, but there's a two-minute snapshot of it, so I just want you to check it out. So if you would, check out the screen and watch this. It is every kid's worst nightmare, and six-year-old Jaden Hayes has lived it. Ah! Twice. First, he lost his dad when he was four. Then last month, his mom died unexpectedly in her sleep. I tried and I tried, I tried to get her away, couldn't. Jaden is understandably heartbroken. Anybody can die, that's anybody. But there's another side to his grief, a side he first made public a few weeks ago when he told his aunt and now guardian, Barbara DeCola, that he was sick and tired of seeing everyone sad all the time. And he had a plan wow. to fix it. And that was the beginning of it. That's where the adventure began. <laughs> Jaden asked his Aunt Barbara to buy a bunch of little toys and bring them here to downtown Savannah, Georgia, near where he lives. Thank you, sweetie. So he could then you want me to have it? give them away. Thank you, man. What is it you're doing? Well, I'm trying to make people smile. Rubber duckies, dinosaurs. Because those are the things that make people smile. Yeah. And what happens to their face? Really? Really. See that man right there? Jaden targets people who aren't already smiling and then turns their day around. You made me smile. He's gone out on four different occasions now, and he's always successful. It's to make you smile. Even if sometimes he doesn't get exactly the reaction he was hoping for. 
It is just so overwhelming to some people that a six-year-old orphan would give away a toy expecting nothing in return except a smile. Of course, he is paid handsomely in hugs. And his aunt says these reactions have done wonders for Jaden. It's like sheer joy came out of this child. And the more people that he made smile, the more this light shone. Jaden says that's mostly true. But I'm still sad that my mom died. I bet you are. This is by no means a fix. But in the smiles he's made so far, nearly 500 at last count, Jaden has clearly found a purpose. I'm counting on it to be 33,000. 33,000? Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big goal. Mm-hmm. You think he can make that goal? Uh-huh. I think I can. I think he just did. Steve Hartman on the road in Savannah, Georgia. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, we can learn a lot from a child. Can you imagine what he's gone through? And yet his response, much like the woman, he's like, I'm not giving up. I still have a purpose. I still have a plan. God's still going to use me. Dang it, I'm going to use this suffering. I'm going to impact somebody with it. It's not going to go to waste. God doesn't waste my faith. Some of you, you've lost the grit and you've lost the determination. You've lost the perseverance. You've lost hope. I'm grateful you're here. You're not alone. What if I told you that the greatest person who ever walked the earth, besides Jesus, the greatest person that he said was the greatest that ever walked the earth, lost their faith, or came this close to losing it, lost their grit, lost their determination, lost their purpose. The greatest that ever lived, according to Jesus, was his cousin, John, John the Baptist. Your homework this week is to find the scripture where Jesus said that John was the greatest who ever lived. I think that's kind of fun to get in the word and find that stuff, so I'm not gonna show it to you. But that's what Jesus said. You know John uh, ended up in prison or in jail, and he was, he was hopeless. This is John the Baptist, who all he did was point people to Jesus. All he did was baptize people. All he did was love people. All he did was preach the word of God to people. You think that was fair that he's in jail? He was struggling bad. The disciples went to see him in jail. You know what John said? Did I get it wrong? Is Jesus even the Messiah? I don't know anymore. Like, all I've done is point people to him. All I've done is love. All I've done is do the will of the Father. And now I'm in jail. Little did he know, soon he would be dead with his head chopped off. And he says to him, did I miss it? Did I miss my purpose? I'm reeling. I'm struggling. I can't imagine how he felt so alone. Question, had God left John? Did God seem silent to John when he was in jail? So the disciples go back to Jesus. They're like, Jesus, John, your cousin, he's, he's, he's hurting. And Jesus could have, Jesus could have got upset. He could have been like, are you kidding me? He's, he's questioning his faith. I said he was the greatest guy that ever, and he's questioning it. We grew up together. We're cousins. We're tight. Him and I, we went on double dates. Of course, my date was hotter because I'm Jesus, but whatever. So, but he knows. Jesus doesn't say that. You know what Jesus says to the disciples? Do me a favor. Go back and tell John. You tell my friend. You tell him what you've seen. 
You tell him he didn't get it wrong. You tell him his purpose wasn't wasted. This is, this, I'll quote it. Matthew 11, 4 and 5. Jesus says, go back to John. Tell him what you've heard and what you've seen. You tell John, the blind see, that's who I am. You tell John, the lame are walking. The lepers are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised to life. You tell John, the good news is being preached to the poor. Tell John, and he's telling you, just because things aren't going your way, doesn't mean they're not going God's way. Tell him. You tell him I love him. You tell him he impacted lives. You tell him he lived his purpose. You tell John. John's with the Father in heaven today. He ain't complaining anymore. John was asking why. Jesus even asked why, if you want to get personal. When Jesus hung on the cross, he could, he, there was a point in his life, he, he couldn't comprehend it. And he's Jesus. He looks up at the Father hanging on the cross, and what does he say? Why? All I've done is love. And they betray me. All I've done is bend over backwards. I, I loved them and I loved them and I loved them and I loved them. Why have you forsaken me? God's silent in the moment. Did you know it? We don't hear God say anything back to Jesus. I think, I don't want to speak for God, but I have to think, based on what Scripture says, if Jesus would respond to Jesus, or if God would respond to Jesus, why have you forsaken me? I love him, son, and so do you. Because I love her, and I love him, and I love them, and I love them. Be I, Jesus, be it's because something was taken away from me, and I want it back. My children were taken away from me, and I want them back. So something, so now I need to, I need to give up something even greater, and that's you, Jesus. You're the one. That's what has to happen. In my group, my, my group that I'm with these guys and we're reading the word of God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the way. In 1 John 8, in 1 John 4, 8, 9. Why have you forsaken me? God says this, not to that, but this is what he says in the word of God. God showed how much he loved us, you. By sending the one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life. That's why John the Baptist is alive today. He's more alive than he's ever been, by the way. This is real love. Not that you love God, but that he loved us and sent Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God says, I've lost what I once had. My, my relationship with the ones I love and I created, I'll do whatever it takes to get it back. Jesus, you in? I'm in. All right. It's gonna suck, Jesus, to say the least. And it did, all the way to crucifixion and death for you and for me. In a few hours, we'll be baptizing upwards of 30 people. Here's what I can tell you about every one of them. And if you're in the room getting baptized, don't take this personal, but they're not getting baptized because they're good. Trust me, I know some of these people. I'm <laughs> just kidding. They're not good according to God's definition of good. Neither am I. They're getting baptized because they're saved. They're saved not because they're good, but because God is good. 
You understand? You can't earn it. So you know how grit is the place where, where, where we meet God's grace? Is that what it was? Miracles happen in the place. I actually know my own main point. Miracles happen in the place where grit meets grace. Where they collide, if you will. You know the title. You know where salvation happens? Where your faith meets God's grace. That's salvation. You can't earn it. You're not good enough and you never will be and neither will I. They're getting baptized because they've called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They believe he's God's son, that he was, that he was dead, and that he's alive. That's why they're getting baptized. You're not baptized because you're good. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. People covered by the grace of God go to heaven. That's who goes to heaven. That's it. God, that's relief to me. Somebody who's just, I wasn't good. I wrote down this. When Jesus died on the cross, it was disappointment across the entire land. Friday was a huge disappointment to his followers. He was dead and buried. You know the story, probably. Friday's disappointment, I wrote down. But it didn't stop there. Here's what I put. Friday's disappointment, you know what it led to? Friday's disappointment, it led to Sunday's divine appointment. Why? Because three days later, Jesus Christ would break forth from the tomb, defeating sin, defeating death, defeating the devil. Why? So that you might live, so that you might have purpose, so that God can do what he wants to do through you. So you could have the presence of God in you. You know what's better than God with you? Him in you. You know, oh, I'm, I'm getting, I'm starting to get on the topic for next week already, Maybury. I'm getting excited about next week's message on the Holy Spirit. When you're saved, the Holy Spirit enters into you. Remember what I said? You can't pursue the promises of God without the presence of God. Some of you, you're desperate for the promises of God and you're, you're worn out. Do you know why you're not seeing them? Because the presence of God is not in you. I'm not saying that because you're bad. I'm saying that because, because maybe you haven't surrendered to the one who is good. Surrender to Jesus Christ. You don't have to be qualified to do it. In fact, he loves the unqualified. Come to him now. Call on his name. Believe that he is God's son. And you'll be saved. That's what the Bible says. Online, type I choose Jesus in the comments right now. We'll walk with you. In the room, you have cards. Mark your decision. Sell out to him. Call on his name and be saved. Ask him to forgive your sins. Ask him to make you new. He will do it. He died to do it. And I'll say this, the good news of Jesus is so good, but yet I just feel today that there are people here you are, you are so struggling and I empathize and I sympathize with you and what you're going through because you're hurting in a way that maybe I've never hurt and you're struggling and some of you, you literally feel like you're going through hell. Somebody feels like they're going through hell. And I wrote down, if that's you, if you're the one who feels like you're in the center of hell, whatever you do, don't stop, right? Why would you stop there? Keep going and keep trusting because the God that brought you here today is the same God that promised to be with you to the end. It's a promise. That's a promise. You want the promises of God? Sell out to the King. Stop giving up on your dreams. Stop giving in. Grab a hold of grit. Let it collide with God's grace. He'll use you to change the world, I promise. God, he used Elisha. You know he used Elisha after Elisha died? It's nuts. Elisha was so anointed by God. And you are too, if you have Christ living in you.
this is, okay, the greatest miracle I've ever seen Elisha do would be this one. This will blow your mind. And we're closing, we're done. 2 Kings 13, 21. Elisha's dead. He's been dead so long, his body has decayed into bone. One time, some Israelites were burying a man. Suddenly, a band of raiders came. True story. They came, so they freaked out. They, 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 they hastily threw a corpse into the tomb with Elisha. And they ran. As soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man revived and he jumped up. Now listen to me, somebody. I don't know who I'm talking to, but if God can use a man's dead bones to bring a dead man back to life, what do you think he wants to do in and through you? Give God some praise. He's opening the grave. Come out. It's time to live. Come out of the grave that you're in. Come out of the grave. God's calling you to live. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I feel like graves are opening up. I feel like dead bodies are getting off the ground. I feel like your spirit is moving in such a mighty way, Father, that people are resonating and people are, you're, it's, not, it's not anything we're doing, God, you're doing it through your Holy Spirit. Father, you bring dead things back to life. There are marriages they thought were dead. There are relationships they thought were over. There are, there are circumstances they thought were done. God, in your will, in your way, may we do what we're called to do. You're ready for the miracle. The man of God was ready for the miracle. The question was, is the mother, is the mother ready for the miracle? Church, I think God's asking us today, are we ready for the miracle that he wants to do through us? It's gonna take your grit. It's gonna take your determination. It's gonna take your faith. It's gonna take all that. But I can promise you something. When all that meets up with the grace of God, the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray and we all say, amen. Hey, I wanna thank you so much for tuning in today, but don't stop there. I invite you to like or subscribe to our social channels. That way you don't miss a single video, update, or message. But not only that, would you consider sharing this message with a friend, coworker, family member? I mean, so many people need hope and encouragement and you have the ability to bring it directly to them. Finally, one more thing. I wanna ask that you would consider giving financially to this ministry. I mean, God has done so much, but yet we believe he wants to do so much more, like so many more people he wants to reach, so much more hope he wants to give, so many more lives that he wants to save, and your investment can help make that happen. So again, thank you so much. I love you, and God loves you more. God bless you.